What a blessing now to come to his word. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn with me in your Bible to James chapter 5, it's my intention next Sunday to return to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew and the Olivet Discourse, which we've been studying prior to Christmas time. But if you've noticed, I've stuck with the theme of the coming of the Lord, which is the dominant theme of uh, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew, we've been focusing on our Lord's telling us that we need to be ready for his coming. And last Sunday, on Christmas Day, we went forward in time to Isaiah chapter 65. We looked a little bit through the window of Scripture at the beautiful uh, kingdom of Christ that will be here on earth, the blessings that are in store, the safety, the joy of those days and uh, it was a blessing to look at that together to know what's ahead and this morning my mind went on this first day of the year as I thought earlier this week I was going to preach on I I thought we'd go to James 5 and I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 this morning and to continue on the theme of of coming the coming of the Lord but in particular the need for endurance Um, the need for patience and for endurance. I'm going to read God's word, James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Amen. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that on the first Lord's Day of this year that we can come and give attention to the reading and preaching of your word. And we pause to acknowledge that you're the one who gives your word. We have the Bible because of you. But it's also you who, by your Spirit, who gives understanding. And not merely a a sense of the meaning of the words. But it's you, by your Spirit alone, who can do your mysterious work of taking the truth of your word, the Bible, and applying it to our hearts in, in a way that restores, equips, renews your people. So minister to us now, we pray, Lord Jesus, by your word and by your spirit. Amen. Well, this Sunday, here we are in the new year. And it is the year, see if I can get this right, 2023. Right? Did I get that right? Starts to, you know you're starting to get a little older when you start to really... What year is it? 2023, and it is the year of our Lord. 
Don't miss that, that every year that there is a testimony built into the very calendar that our world goes by to the reality of Jesus Christ. Even our calendars are reckoned on the basis of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we should get some, some pleasure from that. And I'm sure Satan gets some displeasure from that. It is the year 2023, the year of our Lord. And as I said, last Sunday we looked at Isaiah 65 and we looked a little bit of the description there of the blessing of the kingdom of Christ, of boys and girls playing in the streets of Jerusalem, old men and women safe and so forth. Most of all, the the eternal kingdom, the removal of evil on earth, the physical bodily reign of Jesus Christ on earth. And that is what is set before us in scriptures, is the the soon coming, the actual bodily, physical coming of the resurrected, glorified Christ. That is what Christianity really looks forward to. We preach the good news, the gospel, that sinners can be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And that is good and that is glorious. But the forgiveness of our sins is not the end all. It is not the be-all. The forgiveness of our sins is to make us ready and right to be reconciled to God and to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, a glorious kingdom that's set before us. We're looking for the coming of Jesus. And yet, here it is, 2023, nearly 2,000 years since Christ was crucified, was raised, ascended, nearly 2,000 years, and he hasn't yet returned. He hasn't yet come. Now, as I've alluded to or shared in previous months as we looked at the Olivet Discourse, that shouldn't be shocking to us because, after all, Jesus himself lived nearly 2,000 years after God's promises to men like Abraham So we're within the kind of framework that God works. We shouldn't be shocked that it's been 2,000 years, but it's been about 2,000 years. 2,000 years, and things aren't getting better. This world, just as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, is proceeding, quote, from bad to worse. Things are getting worse. There's nothing new under the sun But what is under the sun is getting worse. We know this. We increasingly understand that nothing can or will change this world except the personal bodily coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's changed. I mean, that always, we should have always understood that. But I think if you were to go about 30 years back, 40 years back here in the United States at least, there would have been some who thought if only we got the right politicians into office, if only we got the right people elected and so forth, then, then maybe, we, we know it wouldn't be perfect, but maybe, maybe we could just keep the kingdom a little bit longer or at least get closer to the kingdom. Well, the last few years, last few decades have dispelled that notion. We understand we, we pray that God might, as I prayed this morning, strengthen the hands who, of those who love him, who are in places of political influence, but we get it. It doesn't matter who you elect at this point. 
the very heart of our nation is corrupt. People actually want what we're seeing unfold. And that's not the case only in the United States. That's the case around the world to varying degrees. And so we understand increasingly nothing is going to fix this old, broken, wicked world except the personal coming of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can handle it. And he can. It's not a problem for him. We need to remember this morning as we read Psalm 46, God is not in heaven uh, biting his nails. He is the sovereign most high. He's got it. Things are on schedule, unfolding according to his plan. He's not uneasy. He's not nervous. He's not anxious. He's not despairing. He is settled above in the heavens, and his son at his right hand is only anxiously waiting for a time when his father says, son, it's time, time for your return. But we understand only he can handle it. Things are difficult. It's hard to be a Christian in this world. We are like Job or like Abraham, those righteous man, men in their generation who they saw the corruption of their generation, or Noah, and their hearts just ached because they loved God. They loved God's ways. And if you love God and you love God's ways, you cannot live in this culture and in this world right now and not daily have a sense of ache. What Paul calls in Romans 8.23 this groaning within ourselves. That's our experience. And it's not getting easier. It's getting harder for Christians. And that's only on the, the macro level, the worldwide level. You bring it down to the personal level. Being a Christian is hard. I, I, again, I chose some of the songs and often do because I'm, I'm trying in the songs that we sing to stuff your hearts and your minds full of truth that will sustain you in this coming week just to get through the things that you're going to face this coming week. Because it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. It's not only difficult to live as a Christian in this world of increasing evil, it's difficult to live as just a faithful Christian, period. Because of external challenges, but most difficult because of internal challenges. My greatest difficulty in living the Christian life is not powers and principalities. We do wrestle against them, as Paul says. My biggest challenge is me. That's my biggest difficulty, is this, this corrupt heart, this sinful nature that still is there. I'm made new in Christ. I'm not despairing. I still remember that little children's song that was on the record, and my parents would play it in the house. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And I'm hopeful that he is. But the reality is, on some days, I think, wow, God has a long ways to go. My heart is still so selfish, still so concerned with myself, far less love for God than I would wish to acknowledge. Our biggest challenge in living the Christian life is our own hearts. Selfishness, our greed. And, and in the book of James, James has spoken much of this. He's, he's talked, talked about various trials in chapter 1. We, we know this verse well, verse 2 of chapter 1. Considering it joy, my brother, when you can counter various trials. I struggle with that. I struggle not to complain in view of various trials. 
He talks about the sin of partiality in chapter 2 of favoritism. Basically, all that is about is ourselves loving people who are like us, who like what we like. We struggle, all of us, chapter 3, with the sin of our tongues. And what our tongues do is reveal the corruption of our hearts. What one of us hasn't said something to a loved one, maybe in the last few days or weeks, that we don't regret that we wish we could take back those words. We struggle with chapter 4, quarrels and conflicts. Maybe they're not out in the open, maybe they're in silent mode, stealth mode. These are the things that we struggle with. I say all this simply to give us a little bit of the context of chapter 5, verse 7. It's hard to be a Christian. It's not easy. Jesus never said it would be. You're against Satan, you're against this world, and you're against yourself. It's difficulty. It's a fight. It's a long spiritual campaign. And I don't mean political campaign, I mean military campaign. It's a long haul. And in the midst of that long spiritual campaign, God's people, Christ's people, can become susceptible to discouragement. So in verses 7 through 11, James gives us three simple exhortations for living as a Christian in difficult days. The three encouragements are are very simple, and there's one looming reality that these three encouragements are given in light of. You see in verse 7, he encourages believers there, be patient. In verse 8, the command Strengthen your hearts. And then in verse 9, do not complain against one another. Of course, there's lots of different exhortations in the book of James as a whole, but this little passage is very helpful and for me, anyways, very timely. And sometimes I'll tell you, when I have rare opportunity, when I'm outside of a book and I'm picking a particular passage, I often think with, what passage do I need to hear? And maybe there's someone else that church on Sunday needs to hear it too. I need to hear this this morning. Maybe you do too. Be patient, strengthen your hearts, and do not complain in light of the one dominant reality in this passage, which is the coming of the Lord. And we're going to end this morning by considering the coming of the Lord and what's revealed about it in these verses. But first, quickly, we're going to look at these exhortations. James first says, and remember, it's not just James, it's the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther um, actually questioned whether James should be included in the Bible. He didn't like it because James teaches that if you are trusting in Christ, that you are, he, he affirms you are saved by grace through faith, but James reminds believers that Biblical faith is always a obedient faith. Not perfectly obedient, but biblical faith is always a faith that has works accompanying it. Luther was fighting against the works righteousness system of Roman Catholicism, and so he really struggled with James. But James is not teaching salvation by works. He's simply reminding believers, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, And with that, you got some work to do. 
as Christ's people, you got some work to do. Not for, not for saving yourself, but because you've been saved, this is the kind of people you are and are to be. And first of all, this morning, verse 7, we are to be patient. We need to be patient. Isn't that hard for some of us? Maybe all of us, but some of us more than others. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. It's hard, but it's an encouragement. This is an encouraging command. This is not a rebuke. This is a wonderful encouragement. Be patient. How is it an encouragement? Think with me for a minute. It's encouraging at least because it tells us that the Holy Spirit knows that it's hard to wait. (laughs) He knows that it's difficult for us. He knows that we groan within ourselves. He knows that there are yearnings of our hearts, desires we have, prayers we've prayed that have yet to be answered, that we long for this world to be made right, that we long to be made right. That sometimes, and not infrequently maybe, we become weary with the fight. Be patient. Be patient. It's encouraging because it tells us God knows, the Spirit knows, Christ knows the difficulty of our situation. It's not easy. And we need to remember that as Christians. Everything around us in the culture is all the technology, and I'm thankful for technology, thankful for all the conveniences we have, but everything in the culture around us tells us constantly, if only you get the right technology, the right routine in your schedule, the right life hack or whatever it is, then things can go easy for you. Not if you're a Christian. You're not going to have one easy day. Don't plan on it. It's not happening. Every single day is a spiritual fight to trust in the promises of God, to remember the gospel. It's a fight. It's hard. But God knows, the Spirit knows, the Father knows, the Spirit knows, the the Son knows it's not easy. And so he says, be patient. Be patient. It's also encouraging because it tells us that waiting is part of our work. And the biblical waiting here, this patience is not a sitting around twiddling our thumbs. The patience here is a Christian life that's trusting in Jesus Christ, looking to God and his character, and then quietly going about doing the things that Christ has called us to. Loving our wives, loving our husbands, loving our children, honoring our parents, working quietly and diligently at what God's provided for us to do being faithful in our churchmanship, our duties to our local church, our brothers, sisters in Christ, just quietly going about it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. While we do that, that is an active faith, we all the while are waiting and looking for, verse 7, the coming of the Lord. We've been waiting for almost 2,000 years, believers. God knows And it's encouraging here to be told, be patient, because that tells us that being patient, waiting actively for the coming of the Lord is actually part of our Christian work. What are you doing, Christian? I'm being patient. It's not just an attitude. It's an active waiting and expectation. It's part of your Christian duty and part of your work. And it's not easy being patient. 
but we are to work at it, and we are to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Secondly, look at this second exhortation in verse 8. Again, restating that we are to be patient, James says, strengthen your hearts. What a beautiful phrase. And this phrase really is what grabbed my attention and, and really put my heart to preach this text this morning. Strengthen your hearts. Our hearts need strengthening. What a tender command. Strengthen your hearts. The Holy Spirit to believers in Christ this morning. Strengthen your heart. It's an exhortation. It is a command, but it is so kind. It is so gracious and tender. Because again, it tells us that the Lord knows that our hearts are weak and prone to weakness, prone to fainting, prone to stumbling. And God encourages us, strengthen your heart. God doesn't change, but our hearts do. Your heart is not a fixed reality. It's not like a piece of furniture in your house that's just been there forever. It doesn't ever move. Your heart's not like that. Our hearts are moldable, changing. They can be encouraged. They can be discouraged. They can be joyful. They can be sad. Our hearts are not fixed. Our hearts, and we're not talking here, of course, about the physical heart. Biblical heart is, is, is your soul, is, is your spiritual being, your attitude, your emotions. Strengthen your heart, your thoughts, your mind. How do we do this? Well, it's encouraging that though God is the one who ultimately strengthens our hearts, we're told here that actually we can do something to strengthen our hearts. And actually, we have a duty to do that. When we are discouraged and we we are prone to despair, we thank God for the others around us who encourage us, who may come alongside. But notice here, we actually have a duty here, responsibility to first strengthen our own hearts, to do what we can. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we do not strengthen our hearts by looking somehow within us. Uh, not going to work. Um, it's not going to work by playing some cool music necessarily. I mean, you know, music is a blessing from God. and Part of the reason we sing is to encourage one another. But the way we strengthen our hearts is by thinking on the truths about who God is and the gospel. As we've sung this morning, truths as we're reading this morning in Scripture. There's an example of this in James 5. Look at verse 11. At the end of verse 11, we're told that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, maybe your heart has started to think that God is not full of compassion and is not merciful, that he's harsh. You're maybe aware as you begin this year, as you end last year, of your failures as a Christian, the numerous ways in which you failed God or others in your life. Regrets at this point in your life, things you wish you had done. And Satan is very willing and adept at trying to persuade you that God in his holiness is all harshness and all severity 
and all judgment. But here we're told that in, with God's holiness and with his perfection, he is at one and the same time full of compassion and mercy. Doesn't have a little bit. Wouldn't that change your heart? Wouldn't that strengthen your heart this morning as you enter this week and this year with all the challenges and fears without and within as you think of yourself and the discouragements, the ways in which you and I need to grow in Christ-likeness, the patterns that are maybe deep-set that need to be overcome as we fight the fight? Wouldn't it lift our hearts and strengthen our hearts much this morning if we really, truly believed that our Father in heaven is compassionate towards us and merciful? He is. Scripture. It's beautiful. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great preacher in England in the late 1800s, he's meditating on that passage in Lamentations chapter 3, from which we get the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. Spurgeon, in a sermon, said this, To those who truly reverence God's holy name, the Lord is a Father and acts as such. Those who reverence his name, he pities. He pities them. For in the very best of men, the Lord sees much to pity. And when they are at their best state, they still need his compassion. He goes on to say, God the Father is at this very moment compassionating us. I didn't know you could make compassion into a verb. I like it. God is compassionating us. For the word, and he's reflecting again on Lamentations 3, in the original Hebrew, the word is in the present tense, in current ongoing condition. Spurgeon says, his pity never fails to flow, and we never cease to need it. The Father is full of compassion. This is an example of what it is to strengthen our hearts on a daily basis. And I encourage you, in your Bible reading, or to have around the house, not only your Bible, maybe a good biblical devotion, but what we're doing on a daily basis is we're strengthening our hearts with truths about who our God is so that we can fight the fight of faith. Strengthen your heart. Do you hear this morning, dear brother or sister in Christ? Do you hear the Holy Spirit through his word? The very word of Christ Encouraging you to strengthen your heart today. Strengthen your heart. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. Thirdly, do not complain against one another. Now, this is good. Maybe none of you ever complain, but I, I need to hear this. I need to hear this. <laughs> uh, yesterday, uh, well, there's certain uh, mugs around our household or, or coffee cups and, and, and a house with uh, lots of different people using different things. And, and uh, yesterday, uh, Carissa was, the girls were, were off and that it was just, and I, I said to Carissa, I insinuated that somebody else must have used the coffee mug that I wanted while I was working up at the barn. 
And uh, I didn't go on and on about it, but I made a comment. And then I went up to the barn. And there was not one, but two of said coffee cups that I had complained that other souls had absconded with. It's always somebody else's fault, isn't it? It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else did it. Somebody else is the reason for my current discomfort, my situation. And it has to be because of somebody else. This is why the Holy Spirit here through James reminds us in these difficult days, in the difficult life of a Christian, don't complain against one another, brethren, because we do. If we don't audibly, we do in our hearts. Check that tendency. When we become weary of various trials and discouragements, we are faced with a great temptation to turn our frustration on someone else in the church, in our family. And the reality is that we are surrounded by sinners. We are surrounded by people who, like us, do sin, who err, who fail to do what they should do or do what they shouldn't do. Welcome to life and to the church. And if you're looking for a church where everything lines up exactly, you're going to be on a long journey. You're not going to find it here. Don't complain against one another. Let's remember that this coming year. Let's be gracious towards one another. Let's forbear. Let's talk to one another. Let's maybe consider that perhaps when something's going wrong that we might have something to do with it. These are three wonderful encouragements for this new year. But I want to end this morning by especially emphasizing what looms over all of these encouragements. They have a context. Not only the context of a difficult Christian life, this isn't just be patient, don't complain, strengthen your heart. They are be patient, strengthen your heart, don't complain because the coming of the Lord is near. The coming of the Lord. There's a time limit on these com- commands. That's encouraging. There's a time coming when I won't have to be patient anymore. I think that's true. I think in the eternal kingdom, I don't think there'll be any need to be patient. And I don't have to work at it, at least. I'll be like Jesus. And you will too if you're a believer. So be patient, verse 7, until. Notice the until? Until the coming of the Lord. And I want to, in closing this morning... Just note in this text three observations about the coming of the Lord. So we've we've looked at three encouragements, exhortations as we enter this year. You don't know what kind of difficulties are ahead for you. You don't know what kind of discouragements are ahead for you. You already know the ones you do know. They're right in front of you this morning in your heart. But there's more ahead. And I'm not saying that you're going to remember at that time this particular sermon and these three particular exhortations, but this is what the Spirit does. In times like this, as we come together around his word, he 
fits or, or stores up in our hearts truths that he then employs in that moment when we're in the difficulty. So be patient, strengthen your hearts, do not complain because the Lord is coming. That's the dominant burden, it's the dominant force, the dominant reason in this text. Be patient, strengthen your hearts, don't complain. Why? Because the Lord is coming. And first, I want you to notice three things in closing this morning. First, about the coming of the Lord. First, his coming is certain. It is absolutely certain. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 7. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8. Be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. There's no doubt here about the coming of the Lord. Not once, but twice restated. The coming of the Lord is a fixed reality. It is known in the mind of God. There is a moment coming when Jesus' coming, history will forever be changed. The Lord is coming. And I want to ask you, if you have a Bible, turn with me just for a moment to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what we are looking for. I know there's been some questions as we've preached through the Gospel of Matthew and the Olivet Discourse about the timing of the rapture. It's not my intent this morning to dig into that. I know that question is still out there for some of you. But this is clear. What, what you do is you build your understanding of the end times is you read the passage and you just stick with it. You may not know with how it fits together, you work on that, but you just hold to whatever the Holy Spirit has revealed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through 18, this is so clear. There's nothing confusing about this, nothing mystical. It's amazing. But there Paul says to believers in Jesus, this is after the ascension of Christ. These are believers who are living like us in this period of time. And he says... We say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the coming that right now we are waiting for. We're not waiting for the seven-year tribulation. It's coming But what we are told in the New Testament, we are looking for, is the coming of the Lord. And this is what we're we're waiting for. Paul says, you don't have to worry about those who died. They are with the Lord. They're not going to miss out on anything when Jesus comes. Notice in this coming, he's coming to the air. We meet him in the clouds. And listen, if you're biblical, everybody believes in a rapture. Everybody does. The question is just, we meet him in the air. The question is, do we stay with Christ for 70 years or do we just go up and then come right back down? All right. So everybody believes in a rapture. But this is what we're looking for. And my heart and my intent this morning is 
is not so much the timing, it's just this is very plain, this is very simple. We are looking for this coming at this time when we will meet Christ in the air. And this is absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. Jesus is going to come. He's going to call for the dead. The dead are going to be raised instantaneously, miraculously, amazingly. doesn't matter how far their little particles are scattered here and there. doesn't matter where they are in the depths of the ocean. I don't know how that works, but God who made man from dust can put dust back together. And then we who are alive, which would be great if it was today, and I believe that with all my heart that this could happen today. And for 2,000 years, believers have believed that this could happen today. And for good reason, because God has told us, Christ has told us to be expectantly waiting his return. Because it's certain. It's absolutely certain. He is coming. In light of this, we need to be patient. In light of this, we need to strengthen our hearts. In light of this, we need to not complain against one another. So first, his coming is certain. Secondly, his coming is near, verse 8. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Not only is it near, notice in verse 9, one of the reasons we are to be careful about how we speak of each other, relate to one another in the body of Christ, is because, verse 9, Jesus, the judge, is standing right at the door. I mean, you know that when you were a kid, not even today, you know, grown kids, but, but especially when we're kids, we may be having a squabble. We may be talking about something we shouldn't be talking about. And if we know mom and dad are away on for the afternoon, whatever, they've gone grocery shopping or, or it's springtime and they're out in yard sailing or whatever, and they left uh, the kids at home and, and we know we're squabbling, we're at each other, and if mom and dad aren't there, you know, there's a little bit more like free-for-all. But if you hear coming up the stairs... And you know mom and dad are right outside the door. You watch the tone of those kids. Goes real quiet, real quick. And suddenly this free-for-all, this at each other's throats, brings you up short. Because you know on the other side of the door is mom or dad. And if they catch you saying what you're saying right now, you're in trouble. We need to be careful. The teaching here is that Jesus could return for us at any moment. This is the imminent return of Christ. And our church believes and we teach that Christ could return for his people, for his church, at any moment. His coming is near. It's right at the door. We're not waiting for the start of the tribulation. We're not waiting for those things to unfold. We've learned in the Olivet Discourse, even if you're in the midst of the tribulation, Even then, Jesus teaches that you don't know exactly at the end of that period of time when his return to this earth to reign and to conquer will be. His return is imminent at any moment. It's near. Whatever you think of it, verse 8 and verse 9, black on white, tells us 
that we are not waiting for some long, lengthy series of events to unfold. His coming is near. That ought to encourage us as we enter into 2023. His coming's near. And thirdly and finally, his coming will bring blessing for those who endure. Blessing. His coming is a blessed event and will bring blessing for those who, trusting in Jesus, persevering in your Christian faith, in your quiet life of living faithfulness unto Christ where you live, husbands loving your wives, wives loving your husbands, parents, children, fulfilling your Christian duties, doing your work, living a righteous life in front of your neighbors, speaking up for truth and for Christ in the face of evil, defending the innocent. This is just what we do. Suffering here and now, enduring, being patient, living with this groaning within us. For now, it is we are blessed because we know what we know about God, but for right now, we groan. It's hard. And the Christian life is full of a lot of sorrow and suffering. But when Jesus comes, when Jesus comes for us, pure, unmingled blessing. And James gives us an illustration in verse 11. Well, actually, verse 10 and 11, he gives us an example of the prophets. Think of Jeremiah, of all, of, he's, of all the Old Testament prophets, he, he, he is one that I perhaps admire the most because his entire ministry was in face of the apostasy of Judah. He was preaching the judgment that Babylon was going to come, and he actually lived to never see a change of heart in the people, and he actually witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, and that's it. And he endured it all. And yet he's the one that Jesus referred to. When Jesus refers, as we'll celebrate in a few moments, the Lord's Supper, Jeremiah is the one that God used to speak of this new covenant when God would give his people a new heart, take out their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh, remember their sins no more. Jeremiah was a man of faith. He believed the gospel, the good news that was coming. He believed in the future, but his entire life and ministry, he never saw it fulfilled. Right now, Jeremiah is blessed, and when he sees Christ come, and the unfolding and the fulfillment of all the fullness of the covenant Oh, will he be blessed? And then what about Job in verse 11? The endurance of Job. We don't spend a lot of time, maybe sometimes, reading Job because it's, it's long and it's lengthy and there's a lot of misery. What this man went through. And yet we know at the end, God had mercy on him and blessed him. These are illustrations, examples, James tells us, of the blessing that will come to those who patiently wait for the coming of the Lord and endure. So brothers and sisters in Christ, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Don't complain against one another because the coming of the Lord is right at hand. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son and thank you for the hope we have. Thank you for the privilege we have of living as your people in this 
wicked and perverse generation. We ask your forgiveness for the impatience our hearts so often reveal. Forgive us for too often complaining against one another. And grant that we be found among those waiting expectantly for your Son, our Lord. In his name we ask. Amen.